Father, we honor you today. Slip your hands to your Father. Don't let it be lost in your mind. Don't let it become common how great a thing it is for you to be called a son or a daughter of God. We have no idea the war he faced while he was here and the continued intercession that he's involved in there to gain us, to keep us, and to bring us to our completed end. The God we hardly work for works so hard for us. The Lord we're so distracted from is never distracted from us. This is not a church service. This is a moment in time where we as a collective body understand and bring to the forefront of our memory and our understanding of our heart of what it costs him to make us righteous and holy and what a privilege and an honor it is to be a part of a community of people that aren't fake, that are trying their hardest to love Jesus with everything inside of them. So thank you, Father, for your blessing on us. Thank you for touching each home and family. Thank you for the people who are here. They're here because at one point in their life, you placed your hand upon them. Father, bring them through as they say yes to you in their heart again. And we say yes corporately. And we say amen to Jesus. So be it in our lives. Amen. Uh, I love the Lord. Amen. You love the Lord? Give Jesus a hand. He's good. Uh, is Miss Debbie here? Does she not make it this week? Is she not feeling good? Okay. Y'all be praying, man, the last month or so, we've had so many people get knocked down with this sickness, and if you've had it, you understand, right? Um, so just those of you who look around, and if you see a face that's not, not here with you, just lift them up. There's quite a few out. My wife's not feeling well this morning. That's why she's not here. Um, Scott, is that you way back there? What's going on, man? How are you? <laughs> oh, I want to thank everybody for, for coming this morning. I want to thank especially the, the people who work so hard here to help do what the Lord's asking. And uh, people that never get seen. Um, you guys just give those guys in the back a hand. They just working so hard all the time. You know, it's funny. Uh, sometimes you know you come to church and you're and you just expect it to be clean, and you don't really know how it gets that way. And you expect the live feed to work, and you don't really know why it does. And you know, you expect the cameras to be all right, and you expect certain things. Well, behind each one of those things is a person who's pouring their heart out to God in the small ways that they can give, which are huge in the kingdom. So I just want to honor those parts of the body of Christ and those who pray over you here at the front and uh, the Sunday school workers in the back. Those guys are amazing. Um, they're amazing because they have to deal with 
all the stuff that's inside us that's unfiltered in them, right? <laughs> I see kids throwing fits sometimes. I'm like, yeah, I feel like that right now. Like, that's how I feel right now. I just, I'm an adult and I can't do that, right? So they get the raw form of humanity back there, and, and uh, they need grace, and, and uh, they love your children, and it's a sacrifice for them to be back there, amen? Uh, okay, uh, quick reminder, a couple of reminders. Again, the diaper day's coming up if you want to purchase diapers for that and bring them to church. We've got a little stat going back there. We're going to clear that out and get ready to build another one. Uh, we want to have as many as we can possibly give away, and that's coming up on the 10th. And if you want to come help with us with that, you're welcome to. Um, I'm not sure how it's all going to work. Pray for good weather so that we can really bless people and not have to deal with, like, ice and snow and rain and freezing temperatures. And uh, so pray for good weather, amen? And then uh, also, just to let you guys know, this church, how we do things coming up on the holidays. How many of you guys survived Thanksgiving okay? Okay, we're going to repent for gluttony later on, but that's all right. We'll, we'll release grace over you guys. Um, but Sunday on Christmas happens to fall on a Sunday. New Year's also, it happens to fall on a Sunday. And normally what we do is we don't have service those two days anyway because everybody's always out. We tried to do that for years, and people are like, oh, I'm gone, and my family. And, and so we, we, we've, we don't do that anymore. We let you, you know, deal with your, your uh, holiday issues, which sometimes it's great for some of you. It's, it's horrible. But uh, either way, we need grace, and uh, we will continue to have our midweek services, which is our home groups and things like that throughout those types of things. But on that actual Christmas Sunday, we will not be having service, and on that actual New Year's Sunday, we will not be having service. So you'll have time to uh, fellowship and, uh, and come to home groups. That's all the more reason to get plugged in. Uh, if you haven't come to a home group... Um, to any consistency level, then I would really encourage you to do that. The body of Christ is bigger than Sunday morning. This, this is great. I love this. But getting to know people to the point where they press on your heart so deeply that you're willing to pray for them, that's a whole other level. So get to know the people that God's placed in your life, especially the ones that challenge you a little bit. Because the reason they challenge you is because you need to grow. I know we all like to feel like what we think is right, but anybody who gets into your business and makes you feel uncomfortable is only exposing the part of you that really needs to go. Right? That's why I'm here. That's my gift to the body. All right, I want to um, turn Ephesians 4. We're in part 2 or 3. Uh, part three, maybe, of one verse in Ephesians 4.30. How many of you guys know you can do three parts on one verse? You guys know that? Yeah. The Holy Spirit is one of the, one of the biggest topics in the, in the Bible, and it's the one we should be very, very concerned with because the Holy Spirit is uh, our access to everything we believe. When Paul says, don't quench the Spirit or don't grieve the Spirit, He's not saying it to be religiously formal. Guys, you need the Holy Spirit to live your life. I'm not talking about a generic sense. We need the Holy Spirit to live life. 
You know, I, it's funny when you bring up the, the topic of the Holy Spirit, everybody wants to go immediately to the issue of tongues. It's so funny to me how that, that's such a prominent thing. Like, well, are you filled with the Spirit if you speak in tongues or not? It's like, you know what, if you just ignored that point and took care of everything else that takes care of the Holy Spirit, you'd be probably just fine. Right? It's funny, I had a, I had a lady one time ask me if she wanted to come to church here or start visiting, and she started, you know, asking doctrinal questions because we got to keep our kids safe from bad doctrine, right? And... Uh, and she said, well, what do, you, what do you feel about speaking in tongues and this and that? And I, and I said, well, I believe in it. I said, I think, it's, I think it's right. I said, I don't think everybody has to do it. If, I said, I, I can sit down with you and show you in Scripture what I feel, and you can have your own opinion. If you disagree, you're still welcome to come. And, uh, and she said, well, I just feel like it's my responsibility as a parent to protect my children from bad teachings like that. Well, I find out that her kids are playing demonic video games and into Harry Potter and everything else, but she's got to protect them from a part of the Holy Spirit that she may or may not agree with. It's funny how that works, huh? We're willing to suck down hell as much as we want, but we're going to argue the semantics of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm sorry you've already grieved him if you live that kind of life, and it's a moot point to even bring up the issue of tongues after that. Is, are you with me? If you're not, you need to get with me. <laughs> We're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. Can you put that verse up there in Ephesians 4.30? I mentioned this, and if you can, you can write it down in your notes if you weren't here last week. And again, you're jumping in midstream. We're going verse by verse through Ephesians. I don't have time to go into that. You can look it up on any podcast platform and follow what we're, what we're teaching on here. But the, in, in Isaiah 11, there were seven things that rested upon Christ. In a prophetic sense, Isaiah was prophesying that what would, let, what would hover over the Spirit of, on Christ would be what he needed to be able to influence the earth. So when you go read Isaiah 11 and read the spirits that hovered over Christ and his operation in the earth, we understand that there's a direct correlation to what he did and how he lived to those things that hovered over his life. Does that make sense to you? In other words, if he didn't have that Holy Spirit in and upon him, in that capacity, on those seven fragments of God comprised in the Holy Spirit, he would not have been able to do what he did in the earth, even as God. It takes God in unity to be able to bring forth the God in glory. God's not divided from himself. Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit. How much more do you? If the Son of God walking the earth needed the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God resting in and upon him in these seven different ways to make an influence in the earth, how much more do you think we need it? Yet many times Christians are just okay with being saved. Like I said last week, the difference between the Spirit of God in you and the Spirit of God on you is drastic. The Spirit of God in you is for you. The Spirit of God on you is for someone else. And to live a Christian life only satisfied theologically by what's inside of you is a very selfish form of Christianity, a part of which God wants nothing to do with. Because if God was satisfied only with the Spirit in him, he would have never loved the world and sent his Son. It is the Spirit on us that satisfies the heart of God and his lost people. 
And if we don't maintain that spirit, we're not un unpacking and unfolding the heart of our Father. It takes a life that's dedicated. An immature son will look at a life of the Spirit and say, that is a bunch of legalistic junk. But a son knows that my life was paid for by something valuable, and I must adhere and obey to what's put in me to have it rest on me also. Jesus said, I sanctify myself for their sake. He didn't live a holy life for himself. We live holy lives to make ourselves feel better in our own Christianity. We think holiness in a week, getting through a week without sin, somehow makes us closer to, to Jesus. It doesn't. Your righteousness is only established by one thing. And that is him and his work. The sin that you allow in your life, that's on you. And you can make it as horrible on yourself as you want. Or you can walk away from it because the blood still flows from the throne. But I've seen in Christianity, as a pastor, how many times people are influenced by the power of their sin. And they use that as an arm bar in their relationship with God. Do you know that there's a time in your life where God doesn't want to move you by your sin anymore? Jesus didn't go to the wilderness driven by sin. He went to a hard place in life driven by the Spirit. Most of our hard places in life, we were driven there by our sin. Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> It's a different thing when you choose something hard because the Holy Spirit's asking you to suffer for people who will not suffer for themselves. That's what being in ministry is. That you suffer and you fill up that which is lacking in the church. You pay the price the church justifies to pay. You fast and pray for people who won't fast and pray for themselves. Why? Because you can do it by the Spirit that's in you. When you feel the Spirit of God on you, it's always for someone else. And when you live a life where the Holy Spirit can have all your faculties at His attention at any moment, this is when God can use you in every atmosphere. Not just in your marriage, but especially in your marriage. Not just in raising your children, but also especially in raising your children. But even breaking the boundaries of your blood, your DNA, even more so, the family of God, the orphans, the imposters, the prodigals, who desperately want what we have, they just don't know what it is. And you need wisdom to figure out how to try to get it to them. Do you know that most people who evangelize do it the same way every time because they don't listen to the spirit of wisdom? Do you know Jesus never did that? Jesus never hit everybody the same way every time. Yet evangelists are very powerful people, but they're very narrow in their mindset because they, they approach people the same way every single time.
we need the spirit of wisdom because somebody needs to, you to, to speak to them in something that's personal in their life. You say, well, I, I don't hear the Lord that way. You probably don't, but the Spirit can speak to you that way if you listen. It's probably not natural for you to hear things for people, but how are you going to know that unless you step out and do it? Does it make sense to you? I'm not saying you shouldn't start with something generic, but you should end with something specific. You with me? We need the breath of wisdom. So we're going through Isaiah 11. And we, we talked about the, the breath of God, the spirit of God last week, just the generic Holy Spirit, even though he's not generic. Now we're going to get into the rest of the parts of who he is and why it's important not to, to grieve him. Because every attribute he possesses, you need. To grieve the spirit is to, is to grieve the spirit of wisdom. It's to, it's to grieve the spirit of counsel. It's to grieve the spirit of, of understanding. It's to, gr to grieve the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And if we grieve those parts of God, those individual gifts that rested upon Christ that made him who he was and as effective as he was, those things will not be accessible to us in an external reality. And we don't just need them within. I think the greatest travesty of modern Christianity is we have made everything about us. Let me tell you something. Let me give you a little secret. Your walk with God is not about you. It's about him and others. And if it's still about you, you're never going to get free from the things you're already free from because you're chasing something you already have and you don't believe it. You're still dealing with the lie in your mind that's more believable to you than the truth of the spirit that God's given you. Until, in fact, Christianity doesn't make sense until it's about other people. If your entire relationship with God is about getting yourself comfortable to feel good about who you are in your own skin, you've missed the whole point. If God wasn't in love with you and confident of his ability to finish something in you, he never would have called you in the first place. You're concerned about things he's not concerned about. And if you get busy being concerned about what he's concerned about, then all of a sudden the stuff you're concerned about will naturally come to pass. That's Matthew 6.33. You can't seek his kingdom without putting other people before yourself. You cannot fulfill that verse without taking other people and putting them to the forefront of your life and putting yourself behind. It's impossible. The kingdom of God is bigger than one person. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than your relationship with God. It comprises the, the family of God. And this is how you see maturity. Mature people... They're concerned more about their brother and their, and their sister in Christ than they are themselves. As I figured out, it doesn't make God happy for me to chase something that I feel like I need. But it does make God happy for me to stand in faith for people He desires. The very heart of God is for others. God so loved the world. And we're still trying to love ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit. The breath of wisdom. 
If you want to turn to Isaiah 11, you can. Jared, if you want to find that back there, that's somewhere, I don't know, maybe around verse 7. I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit is not a generic feeling. He's a person. Jesus calls him the spirit of truth. And like I said last week, truth is not a statement that's correct. Truth is always, it has been, and always will be a person. You can say something that's true and it not be from the spirit of truth. Christians desperately need to learn that. Well, it was true, but it wasn't by the spirit. Your truth hurt them. You ever had somebody tell you something that was true, but wasn't by the spirit? Did it bring life to you? No. All it did was empower the person who was speaking against you to make them feel better about themselves. Right? See, we need to redefine what truth is. What my mom was saying earlier, Sharon, she was, she was up here like creating idols in our life. I mean, we don't think we do that as believers. But the greatest idol you'll ever make in your life is a reformation of who you think God is. You reframe him in an idea that, that fits your ability to, to see God as he is. So you re, if, in other words, if you have an idea of love that isn't God, then you've made God into an idol he isn't. Because love is what it is, and you don't get to change that. Love is not tolerance. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's not tolerance. And that's what the social order of America has reduced love down to is tolerance. In other words, if you love me, you have to tolerate everything I do in my life. And if you don't tolerate it, then you don't love me. Because they reformed who God is. And it's not God. And then they're upset when that God they created doesn't serve them and perform miracles for them. And many people pay, pray to that God that they reformed in their brain. Religion does this very well. And then people get disillusioned with church because they're serving a God that they created instead of the real one. And he never answers their prayers. And they have some sort of uh, anger issue toward the pastor by saying, you, know, you don't understand, I prayed and God never answered me. No, your God never answered you because you created the wrong one. The one that I serve, he answers by fire. And he doesn't answer prayers that revolve around the human condition. He answers prayers that revolve around his glory and people. Does God care about your issues? Yes. But as a side issue to his glory. He will take care of your stuff. He will. Only after you, you frame him right in your mind. This is why I love that verse that says, when we see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In other words, not as we thought he was. There's going to be so many people that see Jesus on that final day, and they're going to go, that's not what I thought you looked like. And he said, yeah, that was your creation, not mine. We can see that in natural life, guys. How many of you get upset when people think they know who you are, but they really don't? 
and they're defining you based on what the limited ability they know about you, and that's not comprised of the whole reality of who you are. People do that to me all the time because I, they see this part of me, and that's it. So they think they know me, and they don't. My wife knows me. See, when it comes to me, she has more wisdom concerning me than you do. <laughs> My wife knows me. And the only way you're going to see that part of me is to dive into who that is. And if you don't care to do that, you'll never see it. And you'll only have a relationship with the part of me that you think you see. And this is how we treat God. If we don't like to be redefined upon a limited ability that someone has knowledge of in our life, then God doesn't either. Because where do we get that from? We're creating his image. Many people serve a fraction of who God is because that's who they created him to be. And they take the entirety of it and they try to serve that thing. And it will never serve them well because it's not him. Even Paul talks about in the New Testament a spirit of another Jesus. Have you read your Bibles? In other words, there's a Jesus that was preached even in Paul's day that wasn't the real man. And why are we surprised at that when the enemy wants to get as close to God as he possibly can and look like Jesus? Does this make sense to you? This is why we need the Word of God. If you see bitter, angry, judgmental, critical people who say they love God, you're looking at people who are usually serving an image of a, of a different Jesus. Because the Jesus that I know operates under, under and only under the spirit of truth. And the spirit of truth is not offended. He's not insecure. Did you hear what I said? The Holy Spirit is not insecure. He doesn't feel the need to defend himself. He's confident in who he is. So then why are we so offended? Because we're being moved by a different spirit. It's amazing how many people have correct theology but absolutely horrible character. You pinch them in the right spot and they'll, they will respond like Lucifer himself. <laughs> but they can conduct Bible studies, oh my goodness. You need to be careful that people who can teach well but can't live at all. Wisdom, the breath of wisdom. Did you get that up there? I'm sorry, I probably stayed too long and you took it off, huh? The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the Spirit of Wisdom. You with me? Let's look at the Spirit of Wisdom. Wisdom is what builds the kingdom of God. The Bible says that the worlds were framed by wisdom. How many of you want something built in your life? How many want to build a good marriage, build good relationships, build godly children? How many want that in your life? Do you realize you cannot do that without the Holy Spirit? How many of you are trying to work on your marriage without the Lord? It doesn't work. You will see that as you go on in your life, that there's very little that you can do without Holy Spirit. There's very little attitude that God gives you that you can do without Him. In fact, most Christians, the definition of their Christianity is they're working for God, not with Him. 
That's good, Chad. I'll say amen. The spirit of wisdom is the portal or the link between two worlds, between heaven's intention and earthly operation. Without the spirit of life, what we do down here does not mirror what goes on there. And that goes against the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. As in heaven, so in earth. There's only one operation. It's God's plan and God's way, and it will only happen by God's spirit. If salvation did not happen by works, then the working out of salvation will not have so by works either. It takes the Holy Spirit to work this. If we grieve him, we break the portal that we have, the connection point between the two worlds that we're praying for. In fact, the Holy Spirit resting on you in prayer is the release of God's intention through you into that reality. God cannot and will not operate in the earth without human beings. You say, well, Jesus appears to people in dreams. I'm sorry, you're wrong. Jesus is a human being. God will not move in the earth without human beings. People say, well, I only hear the Spirit. That is the Spirit of Jesus who is a human being. Do you realize he's forever a human being? When you get to heaven, he will literally look like you and me in flesh and bone, six foot some odd Jewish male. Yes? He became us so that we could become him by the Spirit. You were born again by the Holy Ghost. That's what made you a believer. That's what empowered that moment that brought life, that spark of God that, that birthed inside of you and made you have different desires well up inside your being. That I don't want to do this anymore. That's the Holy Spirit. You want to know one of the greatest ways to grieve the Holy Spirit is to not listen to him through the mouth of another person. I know we all like to be the center of the show and we're the only ones that hear the spirit in our life, but that's a bunch of crock. I'm not saying God can't speak to you. But if it's the voice of God, guys, don't you think it should have a voice of confirmation that's equal to the voice you heard? Why do so many people hear certain things and a group around them is just like, that's, that's, that, that doesn't sound right. Because people, just the same way they remake God in their mind, they remake the Holy Spirit. And many times what they call the Holy Spirit speaking to them is just an unrenewed mind and unchecked thoughts floating through their head that they've managed to somehow justify as calling God. Does that make sense to you? I'm not saying God can't move in some of those details, but I think that's the exception to the rule. go to some conferences and you hear about some guy where he does move in this area and it's a specific gift and it's a 1% issue that doesn't land on the rest of the body of Christ and he won't even wear a shirt unless it's the right color because God moves through him that way and people come up to him and say, hey, you know, I was told to talk to the guy in the green shirt and he put on a green shirt that morning. But, that's, but see, then we hear stories like that and we're like, well, I'm not going to get dressed until I hear the Holy Spirit. And that's not your part of the body. And you, you, con you conjure up this idea where you, I'm going to wear a red shirt today because that's what I feel like God's saying. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm not saying you're right either. And nothing happens all day long with the red shirt, and, you, and then you begin to doubt. 
Or you begin to get uber religious and try to do that every day and you create this voice that you think is God in your head. I'm saying we need people in our life to help us check ourselves. That's what I'm saying. Some people operate like that, but not everybody. God has made you for a specific place. And it's just as wrong for someone to try to operate like you as for you to try to operate like somebody else. You can learn the generics, yes. If you don't know how to evangelize, hang out with an evangelist. But you're never going to be like them. The hand cannot teach the foot how to be a hand. It's impossible. The Holy Spirit's the conduit by both realms, which we operate in unity. Wisdom is the person. It's a person. Wisdom in Proverbs is personified as a woman. Screaming, preaching in the, in the streets. Listen to me. And nobody's listening. Wisdom's a person leading people into God's ways. To grieve the spirit of wisdom is to cut ourselves off from God's intelligence. To cut ourselves off from God's resource to do life well. We need to build things by the Spirit. Amen? I want to make, give you a couple of verses. You don't have to turn there. Ecclesiastes 9.14. I'm going to read some. There was a little city with few people in it. And there came a great king against that city and laid siege against it. And built great walls and bulwarks against it. And there was found in the city a poor wise man. And he by his wisdom delivered the entire city. Yet no one remembered that same poor man. Then I said to myself, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, this poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of a wise man are heard in the quiet more than they cry of him that rules among fools. Verse 18, wisdom is better than the weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. This is Ecclesiastes. This is wisdom literature. This is the man who asked God for understanding and God gave him wisdom. And he tells a story about a city that was sieged and was going to be overthrown. And one man by wisdom saved the entire city. Wisdom is how you make war. Aren't we in Ephesians talking about getting to chapter 6? That's the whole purpose of this. To figure out how to stand in life and fight the battles of God through God's armor, God's way. Isn't that where we're going? Paul addresses 1 through 5 so that we can finally get to chapter 6. But 1 through 5 are so important. In chapter 4 verse 30 he says, do not quench the spirit. Don't grieve the spirit. Why? Because the spirit is wisdom. It's how you make war. Do you realize when, when, the, when those Pharisees came to Jesus and tried to tempt him by saying, should we pay taxes or should we not? That was a battle. That was a war. You think, oh, that was just a moment. No, you don't understand. If he answered wrong, then both parties on either side can now misinterpret God. They now define God improperly by his response. The weight on that moment. Are we people of earth or are we people of heaven? Which one is it? And Jesus by wisdom said, show me a coin. 
you need wisdom in your life to get out of those circumstances that the devil will lay traps for you and your theology will fail you in that moment. I've been pushed in those theological corners as a pastor before by very, very smart religious devils and I saw no way out except for in that last moment the Spirit of God gave me an answer that shut their mouths. And in my heart I was like, thank you God. Because <laughs> I had no answer for that. No training. No theological preparation. No verses at the tip of my tongue to be able to release something to them that would shut them. It came by the Spirit. Jesus says in the last days that when people bring you before magistrates and judges, he says, don't worry about what you're going to say when they arrest you and they're getting ready to throw you in prison. Don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit will give you what you need to say in that moment. But Jesus is also assuming that he's got people living by the Spirit too. Because if you're living by the flesh, do not think that that spiritual answer is going to be available to you. As Paul says, the spirit and the flesh are opposed to one another. Frankly, most of American Christians live their life by the flesh. So you've got to understand in life, every battle that you face will either be fought on the fly with folly or it will be won by wisdom. Every circumstance you face. Sometimes people don't witness because they're afraid of the rebuttal. Because some of us know that there are atheists out there that study their Bibles more than we do. Have you ever met one of those? I have. Atheists that study the Word of God simply define what they call discrepancies in Scripture. I don't understand that, because that would be like me trying to give my entire life to studying unicorns that don't exist. It's a waste. But they do it. Maybe because we haven't read the word of God that says, study to show yourself approved as a workman that needs not be ashamed. Ready to give an answer. Well, I don't have the answers. Then hang out with someone who does. There's the little community plug. All right. You know, I have people come to me all the time. And it's like, you know, I have a question about this and a question about that. And I'm like, you know, you, you do realize we have discipleship classes on Sunday nights, right? Well, I, I, I don't have time to come to that. You have time for something. You just have to decide what, what's important to you. Everything you do is what's important to you. See, you know what I figured out at, at, at 45 years old? I figured this out. Things are never going to slow down. You know what we do? We go, oh, well, things should slow down next month or next week. Do they? Has anybody ever had it slow down? So you know what happens is that that lie keeps you from getting involved because you're always two weeks away from plugging in. There's always something busy. There's something that's going to steal your time, something that's going to take up your life. You get to decide what that is. I decided I wanted to help people, so I became a pastor. Not that I wanted to be one. Not because I get paid to be one. I decided I wanted to help people. You realize there's, there's a life I could be living 
somewhere else if I chose to do so, just for me. And God, I'd probably make it to heaven, but with very little reward. When I could justify that to myself. You need wisdom to know how to live your life, to know where to sow proper seed, time, investment, people. To decide that I'm on a, I'm on a collision course with death. How do I want the remainder of my time invested? It takes wisdom to know this. The, 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 the power of the Holy Spirit. The next one is the spirit of understanding. And that word spirit is breath, pneuma, the, the breath of understanding that rests upon Christ's life. I want you to read Job 28.28. You don't have to turn there, but just listen. Unto man he said... Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. See, we think departing from evil is not killing the person that cut us off in traffic. I mean, that could be part of it. But How about departing from evil when the spirit of unbelief is so pervasive in your mind and your heart that you've lost reality and sight on the faith of Jesus Christ and that he's for you? So that's evil. Unbelief is evil. Is it not? Fear is evil. So when you're, not giving, when you're giving into fear, you're not operating in the spirit of understanding. Are you, is this me? How many, now when you're seeing it this way, how many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you are recognizing you're grieving the Holy Spirit in your life? When you're letting fear dominate you, anger, hatred, judgment are evil. Pride is evil. When we're giving into those things, we're not operating under the spirit of understanding because understanding will tell you this is the end of what you're involved in. This is how it's going to work. In Hebrew, they have a word, it's, it's, it's pronounced aharit. It means that which comes behind or that which comes after. And Aharit is the essence of the spirit of understanding. In other words, Aharit will tell you, don't do this because if you do, this will occur. What comes after the choice is the Aharit of your life. The spirit of understanding will say, don't turn in that way. I heard a pastor tell a story of a, of a man who had a weak moment in his life. He was down, dejected, separated from church, began to isolate. He was a businessman. He went on a business trip and had a weak moment where he got involved with a woman he shouldn't have. But what it was was a trap. They caught him, tortured him for three days. This woman was just the bait. When they found him, his whole body had cigarette burns from head to toe, strapped to a chair, dead. The Aharit would have said, do not go this way. The voice of the Spirit would have said, 
this is not going to end well for you. The problem with it is, is that many people in Christianity have justified that voice away by the free will of their life. That you actually think you have the right to say no to the Holy Spirit. You do not. If you do, you're exercising the will of rebellion, which is permitted, but never permissible. When that voice comes and says, don't say that, you might think it's a small thing because you want to release that truth onto somebody, but what you're really doing is creating an aharit that's going to cause somebody some sort of damage. The spirit of wisdom will give you that moment of understanding. Don't go that way. Put that down. Get that out of your life. Why? Because it's the spirit of wisdom screaming into the streets of your life saying, you must listen to me because I see the end is death. And if you think the devil's going to try to get to you as a mature believer or wherever you're at through drugs and alcohol, you're mistaken. He's going to try to get to you through the small, insignificant things that the rest of religion says, you don't have to do all that. And ironically, you have the spirit of religion telling you that's just the spirit of religion. Because the spirit of religion wants to make obedience look like legalism. Proverbs 2.11, discretion will preserve you, understanding will keep you, to deliver you from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaks forward things. These men who leave, paths, who leave the path of righteousness and they walk in ways of darkness, they rejoice to do evil and they delight in the wicked whose ways are crooked and they've found forward ways in their path that will deliver you from the strange woman. And from the stranger which flatters with their words, the spirit of understanding will deliver you from people who are not there for your good. Yeah, you know that everybody in here has a person in your life that's sent by hell and you probably don't know who they are. That's the point of them being there, is to tear you down. I have people like that in my life, and I've decided that after I've tried to reach them to a certain point, after I know I've done everything that's in my power to do for them, I cut them off. Not because I don't love them, but because I'm honoring their choice, because that's what God does, who is love. And to keep them in my life after that point would be complete rebellion, because they're only there for one reason. Not for me to lift them up, they've proved that. Not for them to lift me up because they can't. The only other reason left is to tear me down. Well, you got to love them, brother. By letting them go, I will love them. How many times has God loved somebody and lets them go to their sin? Does he stop you from picking up that bottle? Does he stop you from watching that pornographic video? Does he stop you from doing that? No, his love lets you go. See, wisdom is the part of God that says, there's something in your moment of life that doesn't make sense in heaven. And when the two collide in death, you will be the one with all the damage.
God sends the spirit of understanding that rested upon Christ into our life. Does that make sense to you? Proverbs 21, 16, the man that wanders out of the way of understanding will remain in the congregation of the dead. Did you hear what that said? The man who leaves the way of understanding will remain in the congregation of the dead. That is the end goal of all loose living. Justified living is death. In other words, what he's saying here is that you will not be able to live the ascended life of Christ if you're not operating in a spirit of understanding. Do you understand that these things are available to us every moment of every day? But the problem is, is that we're trying to get those things by ourselves. Within our own Christianity, we're trying to have the spirit of wisdom and counsel and, and, and the fear of the Lord and, and understanding. And we're trying to get all of that ourselves. God, give me a spirit of understanding and wisdom and counsel and fear of the Lord. And then somebody over here is saying, hey, bro, you don't need to go that way. I need, I need to hear you, Lord. I need the spirit of wisdom and counsel. And the spirit of wisdom and counsel is there in your life. Well, I don't like the way he said it to me. And I just don't like that person. And I think he's just this or that. But you're denying the thing you're actually praying for. Because we want it about us. We want to have all of that encapsulated in just us. And like I said last week, that is an actual, it's an, it's an ironic statement. Why? Because we want it just us, but then when it's us having it, we want to give it to other people. You see how crazy that is? We don't want to listen to anybody, but we want everybody to listen to us. See, I think that actually God will yoke you with people that you disagree with so that he can, he can put a character in you that's greater than what you currently possess. And if you fight that yoke, you're fighting your own growth. And you're praying for things he's giving you that you don't see it because it's coming through someone else. And we've adopted a form of Christianity that's just you. You have to hear the Spirit. You have to operate in all these things. You, no, you receive most of these things through the body of Christ. I promise you this. You cut yourself off from community. You may still get to heaven, but you will be weak and decrepit when you get there. Hmm. Because if you're by yourself, the only opinion you have to judge yourself by is yours. And guess what? You're always good in that one. Proverbs says, the wisdom says that every way of man is right in his own eyes. Everybody thinks they're right. But the Lord is constantly weighing your heart. And that's scary when you couple that verse in Isaiah or <laughs> Jeremiah says that the heart is wicked. That's why you need to get saved. So your heart won't be wicked anymore. <laughs> that's a sidestep. But nonetheless, some of y'all need to stop trying to disciple people who ain't born again. Jeremy, we all are frustrated with certain relationships in your life because you're trying to disciple people who think they're saved just because they got touched by God. No. If you see a dog return to his vomit, a swine running back to the slop, I don't care what kind of experience they've had in God, they are not living by the standard of the spirit of truth in their life. First John says that he who commits those habitual sins over and over and over does not have the life of God inside of them. And much of what we call Christian ministry is trying to disciple people who have never gotten saved. 
I love what one man said, Paris Reed, he said, the hardest thing you'll ever do is get someone truly born again. And the easiest thing you will ever do to that person is disciple them. Because we have it exactly backwards in the modern Christian era of, of, of teaching and understanding. We think, well, getting them saved is easy, but getting them discipled, that's rough. No, if you have somebody who's truly saved, discipleship comes naturally. Does it make sense? Are you guys okay? The spirit of counsel. The spirit of counsel many times comes through someone else. Proverbs 20:18 every purpose is established by counsel and with good advice we make war. How many of you have had that had that temptation don't raise your hand. Have you had temptation or desire in your life where I just need to get through this myself. Do you know that's a demonic thought? I'm not cutting I'm not, I'm not sugarcoating any of that. That is a demon speaking to you. Why? Because if he can isolate you, he can beat you. What does it say? Every purpose is established by counsel. Does it say some purposes are established by counsel, or does it say every purpose is established by counsel? How many times in our life do things go bad because we aren't establishing things by counsel? We're just, make, we're just take, oh, well, this is what I want to do. This is what I've decided to do. Instead of stopping and going, hey, wait a minute, maybe I should ask somebody to pray this through with me and see what they think. I've done it myself. You make stupid decisions, and you're like, man, I should have got some advice on that. That was dumb. I wasn't operating by the Holy Spirit. I was operating by human logic. Common sense. Let me tell you something. When the Holy Spirit gives you wisdom and understanding, there's nothing common about it. It's unique. It's valuable. It's a coin. It's rare. It's a jewel. And you spend it wisely. Proverbs 24, 6, for wise, by wise counsel you'll make war, and multitudes of counselors, there's what? Safety. Psalm 73, 24, you will guide me with counsel, the Holy Spirit, and afterward you will receive me to glory. That's a good verse. We all need to write that one down. Psalm 73, 24, memorize it. Proverbs eleven fourteen. where there no counsel is, the people will fail. With multitude of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 20, 12, 15. The way of fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkens unto counsel is wise. See, I want to cut all the spooky spiritual stuff away from Holy Spirit. He, she is a practical, tangible, evidential relationship on earth. We think the Holy Spirit is a feeling. Oh, I feel the Spirit. You know, there's no, there's no prerequisites in, 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 the, in the scriptures about feeling the Spirit. It's about hearing. He that has an ear, let him, what the, says to the churches. Nowhere in there it says anything about feeling. Well, I just felt the presence of the Lord when I came in this place. You should feel that in Walmart. Well, Walmart's too demonic. Then you're not holy enough. See, because the Spirit res resides in and upon you. 
which means you should feel him anywhere and everywhere. Why? Because light penetrates darkness. Darkness does not penetrate light. You've got to change how you're thinking and look at life differently. See, we're, 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 con- we're constantly trained by the demon. He that hearkens in the council is wise. The spirit of might. The breath of power. That word might is the literal word dunamis. You guys know what that means. You've heard sermons on it. It means dynamite. where we get our word power. Right? Jesus felt virtue flow from him when that woman touched him with the issue of blood. That word virtue is the same word. It's not might there. It's translated virtue, but it's the same word. Power. Explosive power that comes from a center point out and affects everything around it. That's what dynamite does. If you let off a stick of dynamite, it doesn't just take care of itself. It affects everything in a large region. And it creates fear in the enemy. Right? The modern translation would be a grenade. (laughs) You throw it in the midst of a crowd and people run. When you're operating the spirit of might... The Holy Spirit of might, the devils want nothing to do with that. And they will try to get people away from you if they see that spirit on your life. People will leave your church because they're, they're convicted by the spirit of might and the demons inside of them don't want to stay in that environment. So they begin to tell them, you got to get out of here. That guy's crazy. These people are nuts. They're just a cult. And it's the devil protecting himself and the house he's built in their mind. Because they're, they're afraid of the spirit of might. You may, are, you, are you with me? Ephesians 3.16, Paul prays this, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. We were just there a few months ago. To be strengthened with the spirit of might. That Paul prays that you would be strengthened with the spirit of power on your life. And by his spirit in your inner man. You get that? This is a prayer of Paul is praying to the people who are getting to the point where they're coming into the battle of Ephesians 6. We need the spirit of might on our life. To grieve the spirit of power is to grieve people who are grieving. There are people around you with an issue of blood. They need you to touch them. Psalm 71, 18, even when I'm old and and gray, do not forsake me, O God, until I proclaim your might, your power, your dunamis to the next generation. Your might, your power to all who are to come. The psalmist is, is, is not obsessed only with power in his life. He's obsessed with the next generation receiving the same amount of glory and power. Do you know how many powerful ministers that we've had in, our, in, our, in the last 150 years and very few of them actually created a disciple that was so like them that they operated under the same spirit of power? That it literally died with that man or that woman? Because we're only concerned about the power that we can get. But do you realize how much of a relationship and investment it takes to actually get that into somebody else? <laughs> years. Everybody's like, oh, I want the double portion on your life, you know. Nobody's ever asked me for that, but nonetheless, we do that for other people, right? I don't want to be twice what that guy is. 
I don't blame you. Nonetheless, we do that for other people, right? We look at that, but do you realize that Elisha was with Elijah for 14 years before he ever got the right to ask for that? That he served that man for 14 years, almost to the point to, the, to which, when you read the stories, when, when Elisha had come into his own and he came to the kings, they're like, hey, that guy that used to be with Elisha is, Elijah is here. What was his name? I don't know. The guy that was with Elijah. The spirit of might and power should be for the next generation as well. Colossians 1.10, so that you may walk in a manner, live in a manner of your life worthy unto the Lord. And please him in everything you do, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all might, power, according to his glorious power, so that you may have full endurance and patience joyfully. Paul in Colossians is saying this, if you want to have patience and endurance in your life, you need power. You need power. Because yours is going to run out. You're going to get tired. Yeah? You ever trying to do Christianity on your own? Anybody? I guess I'm the only one. It's, it wears you out. It's impossible. In fact, God designed it to be impossible. He designed Christianity to be impossible so that you would need the Spirit. Good morals is not Christianity. Christianity is not defined by good morals. There's lots of religions that have good morals. Christianity is defined by the power of the Spirit in someone's life. That's good. That's good. The Spirit of might. 1 Corinthians 6.14 The God that raised up the Lord will also raise us up by His power, His might, His dunamis. He will also raise us up. How many want to grieve the Holy Spirit? You realize how much, how much of do you realize how much of this is void of feeling when it comes in natural life? Do you realize when the spirit of counsel comes to you, you actually might feel the spirit of offense first, and you're not going to get the goosebumps. Do you know how many people who've been really mad at me over the last 25 years? It's a bunch. When I spoke by the spirit, and they were like, "You didn't have to say that to me." It's like I'm sorry, you're right, but I didn't say that. I'm flattered that you would think I would have that much wisdom, but I don't. That was the Lord. The spirit of counsel, the spirit of understanding, when that comes through another human being to your life, many times it's going to come because you're not hearing it yourself. And when it comes, it's going to offend you. And that part of you that's offended needs to die. It needs the sword of the Spirit to pierce through that thing and murder it so that you're free to rise as a son away from that bondage and slavery in your mind. Oh, man, goodness. Guys, I really don't want to go on and do another one. Um, we need the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of the fear of the Lord. Are you guys okay for me to do one more next week? Okay. We need the Holy Ghost. We need the spirit of truth in our life. How many of you have seen just from today that if we grieve the Holy Spirit, we're cutting off access to the parts of God that we desperately crave. And many times, it will come through someone else. 
just as sometimes it will come through you for someone else. Have you ever told somebody something and you knew it was by the Spirit, but you knew they didn't like it? Why can't you take that same idea and realize that, wait a minute, maybe what they're saying might actually be real? Which is why community is important. You know why community is important? Because you have to have a relationship before you can build rebuke. There's people in here that I will not rebuke you in your life on a private level, person to person. I will not do it because we are not there. But if you walk with me long enough and you get close enough to me and I start to see your heart and I start to see your desires for the Lord, I'm going to pull you aside and say, brother, I really care about you, but you need to deal with this in your life. But that's the reason, reason why we don't like community. Because we know if we do get that close, somebody is going to say something. And we might be offended when they do. But let me tell you this. You're not offended by the person. You're offended by the Holy Spirit. They're just being obedient, especially if they're a leader. Because the last thing a true leader really wants to do is, is spank you all the time. It's not what they want. They want to grow you. They want to grow you. And those of you who, didn't, who don't have fathers in your life, you understand a, a father is going to be on you. Like, you need, to, you, need, you need to start getting your act together. You're getting older. You need to grow up. You need to take some things serious in your life. Right? The fathers do that, right? That's a good daddy, isn't it? When someone, a spiritual father's in your life saying that kind of stuff, because you're 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 years old, you don't have any right to say that. No, I've been sent by God. You've been sent by God to people. We've been sent by God to be his mouth. The Bible says that we are what? Ambassadors. Somebody who speaks for the king. Your personal job is to develop your character and morality such that when you do speak, you're not offsetting what you're saying. Did you, did you hear that? See, sometimes you're doing the Holy Spirit a disservice by how you live. And he still chooses to use you speaking into people's lives, but they have a hard time receiving it because of how you're living. Right? You need to make it easy for people to receive the word of God. Jesus was attractive to everyone. Religious devils, sinners, live a life that makes people say, I want your word. I want, to, I want to hear what you have to say. But if you come to me with a rebuke and you're treating your wife like, like garbage and you treat people, other people like garbage, guess what? It's going to be really hard for me to go, that's the word of the Lord. It may be. But the way you chose to live your life, you chose to abort that word. And you will be held responsible for it on the day of judgment. You will be held responsible for it. You see how important this is? Please, I want to I I cut away all the super sloppy spiritual stuff of the Holy Spirit and make it really tangible and practical for you. Does he move in that powerful way where his grace is all over us and we feel it? Yes, yes, but that's, that's just one small part of, of him. Young believers, especially the ones who are getting saved in this modern gospel of, of Abba and all that type of stuff and sonship, which is so amazing. And that's how you should get born again. Have a real hard time with the fear of the Lord. 
They don't understand that. Because they're babies. And when a father takes a baby, he doesn't teach it fear first. Does he? No, but you need to understand if you're young in Christ, you need to understand at some point in your life, you're going to encounter a part of Abba that needs to be respected and feared. That's a hard transition for a lot of people. We'll get into that next week. You can stand with me. And I apologize for keeping you late, but I felt like maybe since you ate so much, you wouldn't need lunch today. And those of you whose stomach's growling, you didn't eat enough. I love each and every one of you, even if I don't know you. You're important. God loves you. He doesn't have a generic plan for your life. He doesn't lump you in the middle of everything else and say, well, you know, what's good enough for them is good enough for you. He has a specific tenderness toward you that is unique to you. And no one else can take that place in his heart but you. No one else. Only you can satisfy that part of Abba. But he sends his spirit not so that we can just rejoice in that. He sends his spirit so that we can use that place that we feel in him to minister to other people. And if you can get to that place, you're going to start finding out that your Christianity makes a lot more sense when it doesn't have you as the center. Are you with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your spirit. Your spirit, which was, I don't want to say designed, but purposed to fill flesh and bone. That your spirit, we were custom designed for your spirit. That our flesh, our bone, our day, our circumstance, our substance, our life, our makeup was custom made to have your spirit in us and upon us. So, great Holy Ghost, we ask you to forgive us if we've offended you, if we've grieved you, if we've quenched you in any area of our life, if we've, de if we've denied your counsel and your understanding and your wisdom, if we've denied your voice when it speaks through men and women of God, for being arrogant enough to think that it all revolves around us and our gift, that you've put many sons and daughters around us, many gifts, many callings, to express your nature and your heart. Forgive those who have not allowed that expression to come forward because of selfishness. Cause them to see that their life with Christ has been meant to be poured out, not to be held in. And those in sin, Father, I pray that you would work with them by your spirit because your job is to convict of sin, of righteousness and judgment. I am not their Holy Spirit. You are. So deal with those in sin in this place who haven't gotten right with you so that they might not have an aharit that causes them shame on the final day. We love you, Father. We need you. We need the grace of God in our life. We need your power. We need your spirit to think, to live, to move, to have the spirit of self-control in our mind. We thank you that we have it. So teach us to crucify the flesh that gets in the way of it. 
which is our work, not a work of the Spirit. As we crucify our flesh, you rise within us. I pray for each of these to be under the spirit of mercy and counsel this week, this season, as they go into difficult family situations with the holidays. May they move in wisdom. May they move in the spirit. We honor you and we thank you and in your name we pray. Amen.